0: Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. You're listening to Radio Islam International, live from our studios here in Durban on this uh, Sunday morning. Sunday morning discussion after a long, long time, I would say, what, first time for this year, alhamdulillah, couldn't have come at a more, um, you know, discussive time, al-Aqsa week, uh, currently coming to an end for this year, 2023, 1444. And, uh, you know, with, a, with, with different themes coming from different parts of the world. I was just uh, earlier this morning looking at the different ways, uh, Al-Aqsa Awareness Week was now commemorated uh, in, in, in different countries. And it seems, um, well, here in South Africa, as you might have been hearing right here on Radio Islam International, a uh, discussion about uh, the Anbiya, alayhi salatu wasalam, associated and connected with Beit al-Maqdis. And in other parts of the world, not to say that we haven't run the themes, you know, before, over the course of the years, uh, a more expressive part that our duties towards Al-Aqsa, what, would, what could we do, fil Hadir, right? Right now in our part of the world and an important um, you know shift also Al Aqsa week this year uh, being commemorated in many parts of the world where otherwise probably there would have been less awareness Pakistan India quite involved the the Muslim schools the Madaris in that part of the world quite involved with uh, important outreach and awareness regarding Al Aqsa as well as countries like Singapore uh, you know Brunei also uh, Brunei have, always have been on the forefront front of many, uh, you know, Islamic related discussions, maybe less awareness with regards to Palestine. But this year, good effort had been placed or has been placed uh, in, in those majority Muslim countries. Now, one would expect that in many parts of the world where there is a Palestinian or Syrian or Arab diaspora, uh, and they are, of course, into their first or second generation, they would generate more impetus into the discussion. But it's good to see that areas where uh, there is a probably limited population of the diaspora, the local community like here in South Africa, getting involved in the discussion around Al-Quds al-Sharif, Al-Bayt al-Maqdis and in general, al Ardul muqaddasa Well, we also wanted to conclude for this discussion here, aspects relating to the Al-Aqsa week, as well as um, past and, well, contemporary discussions as well, that why is it important, and joining us uh, this morning is... Uh, Advocate Brother Mohammed Wahid, who just concluded a very interesting uh, discussion on uh, Al Aqsa during the mid course of this week, primarily targeted at ulama, the academia in the community, but also a visit to, to, to Al Aqsa. And uh, in recent times, they host of a number of uh, uh, awareness campaigns regarding Al Ardul Muqaddasa. Assalamu alaikum wa Brother Mohammed Wahid.
1: Wa alaykum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Jazakallah for hosting me,
0: Balana uh, Junaid. And Jazak Mullah for making yourself available and joining us once again, uh, Brother Mohammed Vaid. Tell us, uh, you know, Al Aqsa Week, uh, we've seen it uh, on the horizon here in South Africa a uh, number of years gone by. This year, Alhamdulillah, uh, good effort, as I discussed earlier, being placed behind the awareness campaigns of Al Aqsa. But the commemoration of Al Aqsa Week, in your opinion, Brother Mohammed Vaid, I mean, why is this important and why is it a important learning opportunity? for all of us, young and old? Yes, uh,
1: well, I the object of this Palestine Week, which this year is from Monday this week, 13th of February, to today, Sunday, 19th of February. It's a global week of events, uh, actions, and awareness that is dedicated to Masjid al-Aqsa. And the intention is to bring the love, the heritage, the sacredness, of al aqsa into the hearts of people around the world and since 2017 when this uh, project commenced, there has been an exponential growth so much so that last year as many as 50 countries internationally participated and alhamdulillah this is creating an awareness in the minds of muslims and non-muslims internationally about what
0: is transpiring in uh, palestine itself you know, Brother Mohammed Vahed, when the discussion on Palestine sometimes um, you know extends into a series of discussions, there are a number of words that are associated, terms, I would say, that are associated with the struggle of Palestinians itself. And uh, when listening to a talk sometimes, these terms... Uh, whilst one is is appreciative of the struggle itself, is well aware that this is an important struggle for the ummah at large, not just the Palestinian people. But there are certain words uh, that are historically associated, or terms, that are historically associated with the the Palestinian struggle. And and one is, which has in fact, you know, uh, appeared this year as well, very often, whenever the discussion surfaces, is the word al-nakbah. What is the al-Nakbah, what does it entail? I mean, it's more than a word, it's probably a term, a series of events that, that are important to the Palestinian cause. Could you give us a brief rundown on what the Nakba is? Yes, Maulana. Uh, the Nakbah really means the catastrophe
1: or disaster. This is what the Palestinians called the events that took place around 1948. You'll recall that World War Two. When it ended in 1946 1947 uh, the western powers through the mean uh, medium of united nations then handed over 52 percent of palestine uh, to the jews and they then created the state of israel so shortly after this in fact a year later the israeli militias they got together and they massacred thousands of Palestinians. They wanted to make way, they wanted more than the 52% that was given to them, and this resulted in as many as 531 villages being destroyed, as many as 750,000 Palestinians being banished, their properties being seized, and these 750,000 Palestinians then became refugees, either in their own country. So then they had to go to either the West Bank and Gaza Strip, which are small pockets in uh, the greater Palestine and what's now called Israel. And many of them had to go to neighboring countries as refugees. So this is what they term as NABBA.
0: And uh, you know uh, that, of course, is a is an important historical discussion, which in fact is uh, is recent. It's part of the you know 75 to 80 year Palestinian discussion that we are currently having post uh, you know World War World War 2 in particular, and uh, you know post, post the creation of the uh, the the so-called state of Israel, which we will get into very shortly towards the uh, latter part of our discussion, Brother Mohammed vaid But looking at the, the achic discussion of Palestine from the days of the Anbiya a.s. from the days of the association of the Mubarak land of Al-Aqsa and al ardul Muqaddasa for this is an important definition that I'm highlighting here one is the compound of Al-Aqsa that you know many people Alhamdulillah have visited and Masjid Al-Aqsa in addition to a number of other Mubarak sites and events associated you know within the compound itself that that may be Al-Aqsa Masjid and the compound thereof. And then, Bayt al-Maqdis, the city itself. But in association to the Anbiya, it is important to note that the the extended area, the, the radius of... Uh, maybe 200 to 300 kilometers extending as far as i would say the boundaries and borders of egypt well within syria and lebanon it is associated as being al ardul muqaddasa the mubarak lands where allah subhanahu wa taala speaks about barakna haula that we granted Barakah in and around that particular area and the center point of course being al masjid al aqsa and from there extending to the al ardul muqaddasa and now of course the anbiya Salat was salam. many of them uh, certainly the majority who are mentioned in the kitab, in the, bo- of the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, associated with that great region the importance, brother Muhammad Vain, of Al-Aqsa to the Ambi alayhi salatu was salam, to Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alayhi salam and of course the Sahaba radhiyallahu anhum who came at the beginning of our current uh, rea- realm of, of, of history which represent the first generation of our history, y- y- your, your comment on that?
1: Yes, Maalana, that's a very important point. So, Masjid Al-Aqsa has always been uh, the central point for the Muslims. From the time of Adam, alayhi salam, right up to the time of our Holy Prophet, Muhammad sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And the greater Sham area that you are referring to uh, has the graves of over 1,000 prophets. Uh, and if we look closer, if you look at uh, Bethel maqdis itself, the Jerusalem area, the Masjid Al-Aqsa area. Uh, one realizes that out of the 25 prophets who are mentioned in the Quran, 80% of them were at some time in Bethel maqdis And famous uh, prophets that come to mind are uh, Hazrat Adam Salam, uh, Ismail uh, Ishaq uh, Musa Salam yaqub alayhi salam yusuf alayhi salam right down to the prophet alayhi salam. so this is a very very important and significant place for the anbiya also mariam alayhi salam she lived most of her life in palestine isa alayhi salam was born in palestine he was resurrected from the palestinian area uh he will return to palestine and he will also confront the toward towards the latter days uh, in a place called Lot, which is not far away uh, from masjid al aqsa So all these events have taken place and will take place in the Mubarak land of Betul-Maktis.
0: Hmm. You, you know also another important discussion point are the defenders of al-masjid al-aqsa and this you know alhamdulillah which is passionate to the heart of of every one of us the defense of masjid al-aqsa uh, from the current violations and it's, it's it's important to note that you know the attacks upon masjid al-aqsa by various elements of the world that are of course affiliated with with the you know with iblis with shaytan it's it's not it's not currently it's not now It's from the days Of, of the Anbiya If one had to look at it That even Musa والسلام, Was instructed by Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala To take the Bani Israel After their departure From Misr From, the, from Egypt And to reclaim Al-Ardul Muqaddasa And to reclaim uh, You know the, the, the Mubarak lands That would have been The first port and call Of defense To rid the land Of occupiers So that the rightful Believers may now Occupied. And and in this case here, of course, the Bani Israel did not respond. When they saw the Amalika people that had now occupied it, well, their response to Musa was what? You and your Allah go and fight with these people. Thereafter, the generation after Musa were more assertive. You had Yusha bin Noon and, and various other Ambiya, who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to, though even some may not be Ambiya, like Talut, who was the leader of the community, uh, and, and Dawood alayhi uh, salat who's also mentioned in the Kitab Allah, who were more assertive by way of actually claiming what was theirs. But they were not the only defenders of Masjid al-Aqsa, even what seems to be an offense is actually a defense. You are defending the land against uh, defilement by those who do not belong there, for ultimately the Tawheed and the oneness of Allah is what belongs in that particular part of the world. The Defenders of Masjid Al-Aqsa, especially by relation of our, uh, you know, uh, history, uh, or the history of the Ummah, Brother Muhammad Vahid. I mean, I mean who are they? Th- those who are past and present. We hear of the more famous ones, Salahuddin Ayyubi Rahmatullah uh, We hear, of course, in the first generation, Umar bin Khattab, Rabi Allah, one. But surely from beyond Umar radiallahu anh, beyond, after the Sahaba radiallahu anh, and in later Islamic history, there must have been those who maybe did not make it to the front page of our reading history for whatever reason, but played an important role in the defense of Masjid Al-Aqsa over a series of assaults on the al uh, the Al-Ardu Al-Muqaddasa, which must have taken place over, over centuries.
1: It's a very important point you are raising, Malana. Quite often we forget that Majid Aqsa has been in the hands of Muslims, more or less, for about 1,300 years. From the time that Umar Adila Anhu liberated Majid Aqsa in 637 CE, uh, 15 uh, Hijri, right up to 1917, right up to the First World War, the Muslims ruled over masjid al aqsa but for a short period of 88 years. So during this 1300 years, there must have been some great Islamic leaders. Islamic dynasties that defended Masjid al-Aqsa, and quite often we forget about them. So from the time of Umar al right up to the time of Salahuddin Ayyubi, and right up to the time of the First World War, there were about eight Islamic dynasties that ruled over Masjid al-Aqsa and defended it. Uh, in fact, when the crusaders ransacked Masjid al-Aqsa uh, around 1099 CE, then the significant parts of Masjid al-Aqsa, and you have correctly pointed out that masjid al aqsa is not just one uh, mosque in the compound, but the entire compound. So what Falaudi and Ayubi found when he liberated masjid aqsa after it was in the control of the crusaders for 88 years, that the Musalla Marwani, this is an underground Musalla uh, masjid that accommodates approximately 10,000 musallis, that had already been turned into stables. The dome of the rock masjid, uh, that can accommodate about 1,000 musallis as well. That was turned into the Templar Knights headquarters. And you know the Templar Knights, they were the higher class of the crusaders. They were the leaders of the crusaders. And the Pibli Masjid, the main masjid in the masjid al aqsa compound, was converted into a palace where royal excesses were committed. So this is what Salahuddin Ayubi found when he liberated masjid al aqsa But as you correctly point out, besides Hazrat Umar radiallahu anhu and Salahuddin Ayyubi, we don't know much about Islamic history and the great personalities who defended Masjid Aqsa. Two of them come to mind, Walana. One is Nur ad-Din Zanji, and the other is Rukhnauddin Baybaz. Uh, just a little about Ruben, uh, Nur ad-Din Zanji, because he, his defense uh, of Masjid Aqsa or his attempts to reclaim Masjid Aqsa was just before the time of Salahuddin Ayyubi. So he was born about 900 years ago Uh, he assisted in uniting the muslims uh, against the crusaders and even while he was the leader of damascus uh, and in other parts of the muslim world especially in the holy land when uh, the crusaders were uh, giving problems to the muslims he would then go with his army without expectations of any money at all he used to go and defend the muslim countries and He was such an honest and judicial person that the Jewish communities and even Christian people made treaties with him for his protection against the crusaders. So can you believe it? Christians were making treaties with him for their protection against their own crusaders, against their own Christians. So Nodin Zanji, his family was very closely related to, uh, were good friends of Salahuddin Ayyub's family. Each family helped the other family in times of need. And Nuruddin uh, had given Salahuddin a very high position in the army in Egypt. Uh, Salahuddin comes from Iraq. Nuruddin was in Damascus. And when he, Nuruddin sent an army to Egypt to fight against the Crusaders, then he sent Salahuddin and he gave him a high position with his uncle. And because he excelled in that military campaign and subsequent military campaigns, uh, the people of Egypt actually made him their Amir. So he became the head of the people of Egypt. So that is a little background. Now, when he had got his stronghold, Salauddin Ayubi, he wanted to link up with Nuruddin Zanji and now go towards masjid al aqsa and liberate it. But unfortunately, shortly before that happened, Nuruddin Zanji passed away. So it was then on the shoulders of Saladin Ayyubi. Saladin Ayyubi was born about 900 years ago in 1137 CE uh, in a, a town called Tikrit in Iraq. Uh, on the day that he was born, his parents were uh, exiled uh, from Iraq. They went to Syria because it was there that Nuruddin Zanji's family invited him over and some of the things I just mentioned now. And at the age of, the young age of 18, that is when he went to fight in Egypt. He then became the leader of Egypt, and he was the person then who liberated masjid aqsa after 88 years uh, of crusader rule. And for 88 years, no Avan was given in masjid al aqsa and no salah was performed. But that's another very interesting third person who also uh, defended masjid al aqsa uh, He was born about 100 years after Salahuddin Ayyubi. Uh, and he is Ruknuddin Beybaz. He was born in the area north of the Caspian Sea. He was from one of the Turkish tribes. And that was a time when the Mongols were invading the Ottoman Empire and they were causing havoc. And it's a time when they had already defeated, uh, they had destroyed uh, Damascus and some of the other big cities of the Muslim world. And this is when... Ruknuddin Baybal came to the fore. He battled, he fought against the Mongols. Mongols, who were five times the army, was the size of his army, and yet through his stratagem, military stratagem, he was able to overcome them. And what is significant is that he was the first person in the entire world to use hand cannons uh, in open warfare. And he was the person, a lot of people don't realize that there wasn't only just one crusade army. There were in fact nine Crusade armies. Uh, up to the time of Saladin Ayyubi, there were two Crusade armies. From the third to the ninth Crusade armies, it was mainly uh, Baybars who defeated them, who defended Islam against them. So, unfortunately, this history is lost to us, and we need to resuscitate it. And in fact, we need to include it in our syllabuses in uh, our Muslim schools and even the madaris.
0: Mm. An interesting and very important name that you mentioned there of, uh, uh, you know, Baybars Ruknuddin Baybars, and uh, this this time around uh, in recent years we don't normally, of course, go outside Masjid al-Aqsa. But uh, I did take a trip a while back to uh, a place called Ain jalut Ain jalut is yes. on the way from uh, Jerusalem to the Lake Tiberias, Tabariya. It's right in the middle, sort of like it's a small town there. Uh, it's it's a, it's an Arab village, a Palestinian village in that area. Uh, uh, it falls into occupied Palestine, but that was the spot or the area where the uh, Mongols were were defeated in, in Palestine never to regroup again, this was the greatest defeat ever of the Mongols, and you know, it, it's not just the Muslim lands or Al-Aqsa that needs to give Rukun Babers credit to defeating the Mongols but the whole world for that matter because that was the first time that the world saw that the Mongols could in fact be defeated using hand grenades or hand cannons, which we would call today a uh, rudimentary form of of, of, uh, of of a grenade, uh, other nations, Poland in particular, Romania, they learned that, you know what, to ward off a Mongol invasion, you need to include this as part of your arsenal, because they relied so much on, uh, you know, on horses. And this was one thing that could now scare off and ensure that, uh, you know, the cavalry is now put into, uh, you know, to, in, into disarray. So some very important uh, you know, points you raised there by Mohammed by that, uh, you know, beyond Salahuddin, which indeed is a great historical and a righteous figure also, but beyond Salahuddin, Ubi Rahmatullah are other defenders of Masjid Al-Aqsa, who we should uh, read about, discuss more, especially their stratagem, and especially their, their intention. Their intention was not simply to hold on to kingdom, but to uh, protect the Muslim ummah. Yes, amongst leadership, they are good, and they are not so good people, and this has always been the case, but there were many and the ummah is full of righteous people whose intentions were were pure and whose intentions were noble in the defence of Deen. Uh, you know, we move on to uh, more recent history, and I know many people may disagree that World War One, World War Two, may not be recent in terms of world history. It's it, it's it's a very recent event, a hundred years or so it is nothing in terms of you know uh, the the uh, global history. Palestine being shaped by the world wars, we know that. Um, after the time of the Mamluks, etc., came the time of the Ottomans, or the Uthmaniyin, who were based in Istanbul, and by default you know, the Jerusalem Al-Quds came under the greater dominion or the Mamlaka of the Uthmaniyin of the Ottomans. But then World War I demanded allies and treaties, and you know, it also resulted in a very difficult time for the Ummah, not just in relation to Al-Quds, but globally when it came to land movements and people movements, for the Ummah many people, which is less discussed in world history, World War I took a great toll on, on, on Muslims and this further exacerbated in World War Two. Talk to us about how Palestine and by extension, Masjid Al-Aqsa was shaped in its destiny by the two world wars.
1: Yes, Molana, in fact we should go beyond the First World War really because it all started with a gentleman by the name of Theodore Herzl. Uh, He was a Jew of German ancestry. He was born in 1860 in the Austro-Hungarian Empire. And at the age of 36, in 1896, he wrote a very significant book, which was called Der Judenstaat, which really means the Jewish state. And in that book, for the first time ever, it was articulated about the need for a Jewish homeland in Palestine, where he stated that Palestine is our unforgettable homeland. So that is when the thought of creating a homeland in Palestine was first planted. And then a year later, in 1897, he organized the first Zionist Congress, the first Zionist Congress where he was able to bring like-minded people from different parts of the world also Western Western Europe championing the homeland cause, so that is where it actually commenced and then, at the time of World War I uh, Middle East, including Arabia, was part of the Ottoman Empire. On the other hand, Egypt was a protectorate of the british Empire so when during the just before World War I, when the Ottomans noticed that the British were trying to gained land in the Islamic world, and at a certain time they were were having a problem uh, in penetrating the Muslim world, and they lost many, many of their soldiers, what the Ottoman Empire decided that they will now attack Egypt. And when they attacked Egypt, Egypt then decided, the British who were ruling Egypt, they decided that they actually needed support in order now to fight the Ottomans. So they pushed the Ottomans back, but it was with the help of the Arabs that they succeeded in pushing the Ottomans back. And in fact, one of the reasons why they were able to destroy or defeat the Ottoman Empire at World War I was because of the assistance that the Arabs gave the West. And this is the time that the character that is famous, Lawrence of Arabia, came to the scene, and he played a crucial role in getting the Arabs to revolt against the Ottomans. So with the defeat of the Ottomans, what the British then did was they began capturing all the lands uh, that were under the control of the Ottomans, and this was before the treaties were signed where they split up the land. But in the background, before 1917, there was a British High Commissioner by the name of Sir Henry McMahon and he came to a conclusion in a treaty with the Sheriff of Mecca, Hussein bin Ali. Hussein bin Ali, he actually wanted the Arabs to move away from the leadership of the Ottomans. So the Ottomans were ruling over the Arabs for a period of 100 years. So what the British did, they went to Hussein bin Ali and they told him. If you fight on our side, if you revolt against the Ottomans, then the whole of the Hijaz area, the whole of the what Saudi Arabia today, that entire area will give it to you, including Jordan, Iraq, parts of uh, Syria, etc. So, in the background, before World War One, this is what was going on. But hmm. knowing the British as they are, in the background, unknown. To Hussein Ali, there was the sykes Pico agreement that was taking place and the Balfour Declaration. So the, the British were eager to have allies. They got the Arabs on their side. But there were two gentlemen by the name of Sykes, who was representing the British, and Pico, who was representing the French. And they decided among themselves to cut up the entire Middle East. So the northern area of Middle East, that would go to the French and the sudden end of Middle East, that would go to the British, including uh, Palestine, which would be controlled by uh, international organizations. So whilst they were in bed with the Arabs who are now fighting against the Ottomans, in the background, they were conniving against the Muslims. And this is how they split up the Muslim world between them. And thereafter, we had in 1917 the Balfour Declaration. Where the Foreign Secretary of the UK, Lord Balfour, wrote to Lord Rothschild, and promising him Palestine. So this was all happening before 1917, before World War One. In World War One, Britain then had got the protectorate; they had the mandate over Palestine. Between World War One and World War Two, between 1917 and 1948, behind the scenes, betraying the Muslims, they were now planning the Palestinian lands to be given away to uh the israelis and now we know in 1946 what happened 1947 with the Nakba, 1967 the six-day war and eventually from 48 percent being in control of the palestinians in 1946 1947 now they have less than 15 percent in control of the muslims so this is in fact how world wars and time before world war how all this shaped palestine as we have it today
0: Mm. Uh, you know, important note there, uh, Brother Mohammed Vaid, is your reference to the involvement of uh, the British with the Arab tribes. And, uh, you know, I think th- this can be described as the dangers of Arab nationalism or, or ethnic nationalism within a culture which was primarily pan-Islamism, that you had a pan-Islamic nation in the way of the Uthmanin, in the way of the Ottomans, maybe with the exception of, uh, of Egypt, in the sense that Egypt was... Uh, and served as a british protectorate but its legal system and one of its governors would be from the from the ottomans so you had a public that was generally governed by uthmanine or ottoman laws but the country itself was uh, you know a british regarded as a british protectorate but the general mood across the muslim world even in areas that were far away from the from the ottoman lands morocco india for example was one of pan-islamism there's even pictures of uh, Muslim soldiers from, from India, refusing to fight against, uh, you know, the Germans, because the Germans had allied with the Ottomans, who were executed in in Singapore, uh, and, and the whole idea behind it, there's up to 1,500 Muslim soldiers that were executed by the British, they were supposed to serve as, uh, you know, the, the Indian infantry in Singapore, but refusing to participate in World War I, because they recognize something which is known as Pan-Islamism that the, the Ummah under one banner, even if you make a treaty, well, you know what, you have to respect that treaty. Uh, and, and though we may not be effectively in, in, in a Muslim country, we are no doubt bound by the rules of, uh, of the Khalifa in, in, in Turkey, in Istanbul, no matter how weak politically he, he may be. And the British actively used Arab nationalism, which we still see, which is the very foundation of many issues in the Middle East that we have today that wars that have taken place, Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Yemen, currently which is underway, What's it is all feeding and the result of Arab nationalism, which breeds into hedonism and, and, and opulence and a desire for, for further capitalism in the, you know, in the area. But that, of course, is a loaded subject for, for another day. Uh, you know, Brother Mohammed, Vaid, before we conclude, inshallah, the next few, few minutes that we have, um, Today we live of course 2023 20, 1444 many years after the uh, the loss of Palestine by the ummah especially in reference to the war of 1967 and there's plenty of talk but how do we liberate you know Palestine and what role do we play one thing is we far away in south africa right here what role do we play and also you know an important point is that what type of liberation do we want is it a secular liberation or simply uh, political direction and, and political strength It is an, is it an Islamic uh, you know, liberation that where the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will flourish and the ahkam and the laws of Allah are supposed to flourish in that area what type of liberation well that also is a discussion that we need to focus for quite often liberation struggles become well popular struggles but in the case of deen there is no such a thing as a popular struggle, it's ultimately to establish the law of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Talk to us about our role in the liberation of uh, of Al-Aqsa in the time that we are living in, Brother Muhammad Fayyid.
1: Okay. Uh, what I, want, I will tell you what the Palestinians really want from the Muslim world. They want five things. The first is they want us to make dua for Beit al-Maqdis daily. Whenever we're sitting down and making our own dua, we should keep a portion of it for the Palestinians. And the dua that they recommend, and I'll read it out and I'll translate it as well, is, Allahumma salatan fil masjid aqsa wa huwa aziz. And the translation is, Oh Allah, grant us a prayer in al aqsa free from occupation. What a beautiful, beautiful dua. And this is what they recommend. There are many duas that you can make, but this is one that they have recommended that we should daily. Make this dua and we should teach this dua to our children. and repeat it. Allahumma oh zukna salatan fil masjid aqsa wa aziz. O Allah, grant us a prayer in al aqsa free from occupation. The second thing that we should be doing is we should read something daily about Beit al maqdis, about masjid al aqsa. Be aware of current affairs pertaining to masjid al aqsa. And there's plenty of information out there regarding the history of Masjid Aqsa. There's encyclopedias of Masjid Aqsa. There's courses, international courses, certificate courses, undergraduate, honors courses on Masjid Aqsa and Betel Matis. So we should, we should be reading up and also encourage our family members to be reading up whatever is happening in Masjid Aqsa and the surrounding areas. Thirdly, what the Palestinians recommend is that we should spread the word about Betal Maqdis. So, for, for instance, the, this Palestine Week that has been commemorated this week with all the different programs in the Masajids, in schools, in madrasas and even uh, our session here on radio. So this is now to spread the word about Betal Maqdis. Many of us are on social media. So if there's something that's interesting and important, important about masjid aqsa as currently we are posting things on uh, the earthquake in Turkey as well as Syria. So similarly, if we come across anything about masjid Betel aqsa then we should share it with our contacts. Fourthly, what they suggest is that we should not support Israeli products, because what they say is a lot of the land that has been taken away from the Palestinians where there's settlements and fruit vegetables dates olives all these things are grown there and these things are now being exported even to muslim countries so we should avoid purchasing uh, goods that come from israel and also try and prevent purchasing things from companies any part of the world that would support uh, israel so that's the fourth thing the first thing is very very important and they want us muslims throughout the world to come and visit Al Aqsa. And in fact, this is, I would say, a commandment of Rasulullah. Because there is a famous hadith of Naimuna uh, Harith where she says, O Messenger of Allah, inform us of Beit Maqdis And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi sallam, responded, It is the land of rising and gathering for the day of judgment. Go pray in it. For one prayer in it equals 1,000 prayers elsewhere now may she was a freed slave so knowing her condition she then asked rasulullah what if one is unable to visit and the prophet sallam, responded then send a gift of oil to be lit in its lanterns For whoever dedicates a gift to it will be as if they have played in it so two important points here in which we can support the palestinians the palestinians say please come and visit us at the moment we are defending palestine Masjid al Aqsa, Betul Maqdis for the one point seven billion Muslims throughout the world isn 't it your responsibility as well and one of the things you can do is come and visit because when you come and visit us, it gives us it inspires us, it motivates us, and it gives us more energy to go and continue defending Masjid Aqsa on behalf of everyone and the last part Second part of this hadith is the Prophet Sallallahu says send gifts to Masjid al-Aqsa. So in any way, when, we, when the call comes out to try and assist the people of Palestine, then we should do it. So uh, just to round up, so these are the six things that can be done. Firstly, we should make dua for Masjid al-Aqsa. Secondly, we should be learning something new about Masjid al-Aqsa daily. Thirdly, we should be disseminating Information of Masjid al Aqsa. Fourthly, we should not be supporting anything that comes from uh, the occupied land. Fifthly, we should be visiting Masjid al Aqsa. And the cry of the Palestinians is where are the Muslims? They go to Makkah, they go to Medina, they go all over the world. Sometimes, multiple times, they will go for Umrah and Hajj, but why do they not come to Masjid al Aqsa? This is the cry. And finally, that we should be assisting them financially, morally, etc., in whichever way we can. Insha'Allah, this is the way in which we can assist in liberating Masjid al aqsa And on the day of Piyamah, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala us, what did you do? Muhammad Wahid, what did you do? Quneid Karsani, what did you do? We can say at least one of these things we have done
0: by Muhammad Vahid Jazakumullah for joining us on Radio Islam uh, International I know that uh, this discussion is a worthy one that could take place as you know more often than, than and, and for more time that we have given it due and uh, may Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us tawfiq even to give a semblance of uh, time and justice to it and uh, every one of them important points of consideration uh, and uh, important points of, of discussion in their own right in their own merit from a historical point of view as well as that concluding remarks of uh, methods uh, we could adopt to ensure that we are part of the liberation of masjid al-aqsa so that it returns to the domain of deen or the domain of islam the protectorate of the uh, of the muslims and and it be saved from being violated by the hands of uh, those who don't even believe in allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to begin with that's the nature they believe in in worldly hegemony rather than than anything else and uh by mahmad vaid for joining us as as always may allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keep you well and uh, uh, full of uh, wisdom so that you may disseminate it to the to the ummah assalamu alaikum wa, wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh wa
1: alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh